Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Have you ever presented this thought to yourself? How were people saved in the Old Testament? Most of the time I get the answer, well, by keeping the law or else by animal sacrifices. What if that was wrong? It was only given to one nation, Israel. So how did people get saved in the Old Testament? That's what we're going to talk about today. I know you're going to be blessed. Welcome to part number one as we talk about God's plan for redemption. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Welcome back again to Student of the Word. And we are taking up the subject of theology. You know, I have a book out called Theology Simplified, and there's eight lessons in there, but I was asked to teach that in the church I attend on a Wednesday night, and they asked me to do 16 classes. I said, well, I've only got eight of them. They said, can you come up with some more? Well, I have. I've come up with some more, and, you know, I like them so much, I'm thinking about putting that into a book, too. So we'll see what's coming down the pike. And uh, today we're on our third lesson. The first lesson we took up was the subject of theology, the study of God. The second one was the fall of man. So we're studying man before and after the fall. And the first lesson, theology, took actually two lessons. So we are into the fourth teaching today. And this particular one's probably going to take two lessons too. We're talking about faith for salvation. I know that what you're thinking is, yeah, but faith for salvation, that's pretty simple. You know, and why should it take two lessons? Well, it's because there's confusion on that, especially about the Old Testament. How were people saved in the Old Testament? So we'll find that out today as we take up and study the subject of the doctrine of faith for salvation. And if you want to open up in your Bibles, we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. While you're turning there again, thank you and welcome to all those who are supporters of the broadcast. Faithful watchers. I have people said they just don't miss them and even go to YouTube and watch back lessons of them. And so that impresses me that you're that interested in the Word of God. And a lot of times those are the people feel a call on their life and they're just actually hungry for more of the Word of God. And so I admonish you, you know, go ahead and take my teachings, but pray over them and make them your own lessons. You know, I, I have many teachers I look back to in my lifetime. Authors of Bibles, you know, or at least their versions of the Bible and different uh, uh, ones who taught in Bible schools or pastors through the past numbers of years, even back to the late 1900s, late uh, 1800s. And so because of that, you know, I have many that I, I teach from, but even now I don't, I don't like to just quote them directly. I like to talk about what they talked about and then oftentimes say, I got this from Mr. So-and-so or brother so-and-so or teacher so-and-so. So again, today we're taking up the doctrine of faith for salvation. And like I said, if you want to use this, go right ahead, teach it in your own classes, but please teach it your own way. You don't have to try to imitate me because actually it comes back to it. The guy I got it from, got it from somebody else, from somebody else, but eventually the word of God came from the Holy Spirit and he doesn't charge you for using. He does not have a copyright on the Bible. So you can use it and of course, you know, be blessed by it. The others who are just watching for the first time, hi, welcome. Glad to have you here today. And for those of you watching the second or third time, welcome back. Something must have grabbed you the first time or two. And I'm glad that you're watching today. Again, today we're taking up the doctrine of faith for salvation. And if anyway, by the way, I'll, I will add this. If you'd like to become a partner with me, I would love it. And I want all the partners I can get because there's still areas I want to get into and, and expansion I'd like to get into. And I would love for you to become a, a faithful attender, watcher of this broadcast, attending every day to see the program, but also, also helping financially with it. And that's what a partner does with prayer and with giving. And 
so go to bobyandian.com and you'll find a place on there. You can become a partner with me. Give whatever you can. I'm not telling you what to give. Just as you purpose in your heart, give. And again, thank you for it. So today we're going to talk about that. Uh, again, faith for salvation has always been the means of coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. I call him the Lord Jesus Christ, but even though we call him Jesus, which his name did not even come about until Mary became pregnant and birthed the child, then they called his name Jesus. But uh, again, he has always existed, whether he had a human body or not. And he's existed as deity, and they called him Jehovah in the Old Testament. Jehovah is the manifested member of the Godhead. When God wants to show himself, he shows himself as Jehovah, and Jehovah comes in many forms. He's the fire by night. He's the cloud by day. And uh, all the different ways that he has shown himself, the angel of the Lord, he has always been there for man to, again, represent God on the earth. And so faith in him brings salvation. Abraham chapter 4 of the book of Romans says, Abraham had faith in the, in the Lord, Jehovah. It was counted to him for righteousness. Then it goes on to say, and David also said, happy is the man whom the Lord imputes not his trespasses to him. And we're going to find out today that faith has always been the means of coming to God. You say, yeah, well, what about the law? That's what we're going to be talking about today, why the law was given, why the sacrifices were given, and the purpose of them. So the law and the sacrifices were designed to teach of sin and redemption. They did not bring sin, nor did they bring redemption. Man already had sin and needed to be redeemed, and the law was never designed to save man, even when God gave it. And so when the people asked for it, they said, we can keep it. And God said, no, you can't. So he gave it. They couldn't keep it. But even then there was a purpose behind the law. The law was divided into two sections. There is the written law and the sacrifices. It further goes down from there. And each one of those could be subdivided into types of sacrifices, types of law. But again, just to give you the general overview of the law, the law contained the written law, and the sacrifices. And there's two parts to redemption. What I mean by that is there's a person who needs to be redeemed, and then there's the means of redemption. The law teaches man that he is a sinner. He cannot save himself. The sacrifices teach man that he needs a savior because he cannot remove his own sins. He needs a sacrifice outside of himself. So the law and the sacrifices are basically a presentation of the gospel. The law teaches you that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. And the harder you try to keep it, the worse it gets. Then you turn to the sacrifices because you have failed keeping the law. And the sacrifices momentarily remove the sin from you. But again, you'll have to come back to it again later. And so the law teaches man is a sinner. He cannot save himself. The sacrifices teach that man needs a savior. He cannot remove his own sins and he needs a sacrifice outside of himself. The law tells us how bad we are and the sacrifices tell us how good God is and the Lord who saves us. The gospel of salvation was given to only one nation, Israel. This ought to tell us something. If the law was only given to one nation, it cannot tell you the only nation God was interested in was, was Israel. No, it was given to Israel to understand man is a sinner and needs a savior. What do we do today? We go out and say the same thing. We talk to people and tell them, listen, it's not the fact that you've sinned, that you're a sinner. You were born a sinner. You entered into this world a sinner. You were born under the fallen seed of Adam, and in Adam all die. So when Adam died and Adam sinned and Adam transgressed God, everyone he contained inside of himself was all mankind, and everyone would now be born 
in sin. And it's not the fact that I sinned to be a sinner. I sinned in Adam. Adam transgressed and I am born under his transgression. I had no choice to be a sinner. Adam chose for me. So the gospel of salvation was given to one nation, that's Israel, and their great commission was to take faith to the world as the means of salvation and not take the law. I had you turn to Isaiah 52 and verse seven. So let's take a look at that together. And here we have 52 is the introduction to chapter 53, which is the redemption chapter. And 52 sets up everything you need to know before we get to chapter 53. And it says here in chapter 52, verse seven, addressed to Israel, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news is the Hebrew word for the gospel. Let's look at that again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel. Good news who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings. There's another word for good news of good things, who proclaims salvation. There we have it. He said the purpose of why Israel was given the law was so they would learn to take to the world, the gospel. They weren't to take the law to the world. They were to take what the law taught them. And the law taught Israel, man is a sinner and needs a savior. Man is a sinner. The law teaches that. They need a savior. That's what the sacrifices taught. And because man has had it, it's transgressed, then God is going to provide a sacrifice. Man provided sacrifice under the law, but outside of the law, God provided the sacrifice. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the verse of scripture says, says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him. Where were these feet traveling? Feet were traveling over mountains. The gospel was always meant to be taken into other worlds, into other places, into other countries, into other cities, into other cultures. It started with one nation and Israel here represents the church because we have been given the great commission also. On the day of Pentecost and just before the day of Pentecost, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Notice, don't preach the law. The law was still present at the time of Jesus when he was raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven but they weren't to take the law. In fact, the law became a great competitor under the apostle Paul with Peter, with others, John. Again, when they would go to preach the gospel to people that afterwards the law came in and the bearers of the law, the teachers of the law, and told them they really weren't righteous unless they found these rules and started keeping them. The only way to keep them is through your flesh. But the way it is, is I accepted Jesus as my savior and his righteousness and his works and his keeping the law was now applied to me. And so again, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, the gospel, who proclaims peace. Key words here, the feet of him. Good news, proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings. What are they to bear? Good news, the gospel of good things. And what does it say? They proclaim salvation. So our feet bring the gospel of peace. That's not only Old Testament here in Isaiah 52, 7, but it's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, where we are told our feet should be covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is it? The first thing that comes to a person when they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior is peace. Romans 5, 1. And Romans 5, 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace. The first thing that comes is peace. And notice that's what they were to preach back there. They bring good news and proclaim peace. 
And then also, peace is even a title for our message in Ephesians 6.15. And Ephesians 6.15, we bring the gospel of peace. So it comes back to this. If this verse is telling us, Isaiah 52.7, and a multitude of other verses of scripture we're going to be seeing too, that the way that people were saved in the Old Testament was by faith. And how we got so confused on this, thinking that people were saved by keeping the law before Jesus Christ came along. No one has ever been saved by keeping the law. And to try to be saved by keeping the law is a perversion of what God intended the law to do. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. After we come to Christ, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. The purpose of the law was to teach us we are a sinner, need a savior, and we as sinners receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior or Jehovah in the Old Testament. The moment that happens, the law bows off and says, that's all I was intended to do was to point you to the one who could save you. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine tell us how we are saved. You could probably quote this with your eyes closed. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Boy, you start doing some works and think you're getting saved because of your works, you'll start doing a lot of bragging and this, and there's no right to brag when you get saved except in the one who saved you, and that is the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come back, we'll take up from here and get into specific verses, talk about how people were saved in the Old Testament, and of course, how we are saved in the New Testament, simply by grace through faith. See you right after the break. Bible doctrines are easy to understand. They only seem difficult because they often come disguised as complicated or deep-sounding concepts, but their explanations are simple. In Theology Simplified, Volume 2, Bob Yandian breaks down eight more foundational doctrines that will bring strength and stability to your Christian life. Twelve messages include the Bible doctrines of advocacy, the church, dispensations, the fall of man, the study of God, the judgments, faith for salvation, and unlimited atonement. These 12 episodes from the Student of the Word broadcasts are available as audio CDs, video DVDs, or both audio and video on a USB flash drive. To order Theology Simplified Volume 2, visit our website at bobyandian.com. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without the Word of God, our lives would be unstable and without direction. There would be no hope for believers or, for that matter, the entire world. In this seven-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian emphasizes and explains the vital necessity of the Word of God in the life of every believer. Sermon titles include a more sure word of prophecy, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's reputation, the wisdom of God's word, the merchandise of wisdom, wisdom, riches, and honor, and Jesus, our wisdom. To order Importance of the Word, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. 
If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. We left off with Isaiah 52 and verse 7 and also Ephesians 2, 8, 9, telling how people were saved in the Old Testament and Ephesians 2, 8, 9, telling us how we're saved in the New Testament. And guess what? The same way. Salvation has never, ever changed. Isaiah 52, 7 was the missionary outreach and command given to Israel to take the gospel into the world. In other words, in the Old Testament, Israel was the custodians of the word of God and custodians of the gospel. Then there came a time when they failed so bad and Israel was promoting the law that God turned from them, Jesus turned from them. And on the day of Pentecost, it was given to the church. The church now received the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Notice the gospel. What was Israel supposed to preach? Isaiah 52, seven, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them. That's what causes us to travel. Go ye into all the world. Our feet are the objects of travel. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, and that's the Hebrew word for gospel, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings, another Hebrew word for good news, which is the gospel. Notice this, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. This is how salvation came, by faith in Christ, faith in Jehovah, he was called in the Old Testament. And so our feet bring the gospel of peace today, but it's never changed, it just simply switched hands. It was taken out of Israel's hands and given to the church. And in Ephesians 6.15, our feet are covered with the gospel of peace. The same result happens today that happened back there when a person received the Lord. The first thing they received was peace. Who proclaims peace, it says. And peace has always been salvation's first result. Romans 5.1 tells us that when we receive the Lord, that we receive peace. The first thing we receive is peace. Being justified by faith, we have peace. And also, peace is a title for our message. That's Ephesians 6.15. But how are people today saved in the New Testament? And we'll find out it's the same way they were saved in the Old Testament. Let's take a New Testament verse that says exactly the same thing Isaiah 52.7 says, and that is Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So really to say, oh, well, look, here's the New Testament way of salvation. No, it's always been the means of salvation. And listen, if, law, if salvation came through the law in the Old Testament, it had to wait till all the time, even after Abraham had been dead for some 400 years, then the law came along. No, people transgressed starting in the garden. So grace has always been the means of salvation. Faith has always been the means of pleasing God. And we'll get into that a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 11, where we find by faith, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Moses, we start going through all of them. And it's the same thing through faith, through faith, through faith, through faith. By grace through faith is how people are saved today. But again, how are they saved in the Old Testament? You know, when I teach in Bible schools, this is one of my favorite questions to ask a new group of Bible school students. How were people saved in the Old Testament? And I'll get one of two uh, answers. They were saved by keeping the law or they were saved by animal sacrifices. But neither Jews nor Gentiles have ever been saved by the law or the sacrifices. Though God gave both of them, they were not designed as salvation. It's much like if I give you a book on how to get saved and you start reading that, oh, what a wonderful book. And you hold it to you and say, this book has saved me. No, if you'll do what's in the book, it will save you. But just because you have a book, and even if it's a book of mine or some a famous person throughout history who 
wrote a book on salvation. You can't grab the book and stick it next to you and say, this book is saving me. No, it's your faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. The book tells you how to get saved, but the book is not your salvation. The law was designed to point us to the one who can save, and it did two things. The law, first of all, taught us we were sinners. And the next of all, the sacrifices teach of one that was gonna come that would save us, and that's the Old Testament. If there is any difference in the Old and New Testament, they look forward to a Redeemer who is yet to come, and we look back on a Redeemer who has already come. And both look to the same one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, neither Jews nor Gentiles were ever saved by the law or the sacrifices, even though God gave them both. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, because this problem erupted. The same way he erupted in Jesus' ministry all around him, and he had to just chastise and come against the Pharisees of his day, called them scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because they did all kinds of things that were wrong according to the word of God, putting yokes on people's necks, and then even extorting money from them through the use of the law, which it was never designed to do. It was designed to teach of salvation, and every part of it taught about salvation, either your unworthiness or the worthiness of Christ, the one who would be our redeemer who would be our sacrifice. Acts chapter 15 and verse 10 says why Peter here has been brought to Jerusalem and there he's having to go through a hearing because he led a bunch of Gentiles to the Lord. And now the Jewish leaders are really mad at him for leading Gentiles to the Lord. When the verse we read said that they're supposed to go on the mountains, take their feet on the mountains and spread the gospel. That's always been the purpose of Israel in this earth, not only to receive salvation by faith, but then take the message to the world. And when they came taking it to the world, they failed in that respect. And now that the day of Pentecost has occurred, and by the time we come to Acts chapter 15, Peter has been seeing great revival in the house of Cornelius, and Gentiles are now being saved. And, and he comes back to Israel because uh, in Jerusalem, they're having a conference, they called him to come back, and they start chewing him out in front of everybody. You should have taught them the law. You didn't teach them the law. You didn't tell them they're supposed to not eat this and not eat that and, and observe this day and Sabbaths and all the different things that happen. And Peter just simply says out in chapter 15 and verse 10, look at this. Why do you put a yoke on our neck which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. He said, this is the same junk our fathers went through. They were chastised and chewed out for preaching the simple gospel. Why? Because works never saved anyone before, during, or after the law. Works have never and will never save anybody. Paul's talk and teaching on salvation by law or sacrifices is taught in Romans chapter three and verse 20. Here it says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse four. Here we have uh, Paul again teaching. He says, it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Notice Romans 3.20, the law will not save you. Hebrews 10.4, sacrifices will not save you. No person is saved by the law before, during, or after it. Jews nor Gentiles at any time were saved by the law. The blood of animals could never save, only the blood of Jesus. Therefore, the blood of animals represented the blood of Jesus, which is yet to come. They were types and shadows, but there is no way a lamb's blood could, could cleanse, no way an ox's blood could cleanse. The only blood cleansing that could ever be would be the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, a human being that came to this earth, 
gone to the cross for us to die for us and faith in him will cause his blood to redeem us from sin and make us a child of God. Philippians chapter three and verse six says, concerning the righteousness which in the law blameless. You know, we've often said, said this and here's what Paul is saying also here in these verses of scripture. He said, honestly, if there was anybody who kept the law blamelessly, it was me. Now he wasn't bragging on himself. In fact, right now he was looking back at disgust on himself. Paul was probably the most disciplined man that ever existed outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was disciplined in the law and he kept it. He says, concerning the righteousness was in the law, I was blameless. And, but yet he still goes on to tell us, no matter if you are blameless, can keep everyone unperfect, you still can't get to heaven by keeping the law, even if you could keep the law. And Paul says, basically, when I was Saul of Tarsus, I gritted my teeth and I just decided, no, I will stick to this. And eventually it caused great pride to come into him, like he was above everybody else. But yet he still looks back on it and says, even with all that pride, I look back, I can't remember breaking a written law. Paul then later called himself during that time, the worst sinner who ever lived. That's 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul called himself the worst sinner that ever lived. Why? Because he killed Christians and because he came against the one who died for him and he was pushing him aside, looking to his own works. And then in Acts chapter four and verse 12, Peter says this, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no other name under heaven. That means no matter what religion you are, no matter what denomination you are, no matter what background you came from, there's no name you can look to. There's founders of religion, but you know what? There's no one like Jesus Christ because even Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. There is no other name under heaven, Peter said, among men whereby we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So men have always approached God in the same way. It comes back to this, that when God was dealing with man throughout the centuries, men have always approached God in the same way. And we're gonna talk about here the heroes of faith, and we'll talk about how that God always approached man differently in different time periods, but yet man has always approached God the very same way. Look at Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews is a book that deals with the law. And it talks about Israel's place with the law, but also our place with the law. That the book of Hebrews simply tells us like all of the rest of Paul's writings is that it won't save you. Keeping the law will not save you. It might make you moral. You might be one of the most moral people in town, but see that goes to your head because you think my morality is gonna get me into heaven. People respect you and probably you could be the mayor, you could be the governor and end up being the president of the United States if you walk in that type of morality. But the point of it is, is God is simply saying it's not not morality that gets you heaven. It's not obeying certain rules and regulations that get you into heaven. It's accepting one person because only one person has truly ever passed God's test. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, when you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you in? You can start naming all the things you have ever done, all the things that you have tried to do and been good at and how moral you are, but that's not gonna get you into heaven because you could listen. You could list all the sins that you have averted. You could list all the things that you've walked in with God and you know what? It would still give you less than a 100. You say, yeah, but what if I got a 99.9? It's still an F. You understand something? Only a 100 is God's passing grade to get into heaven. And Paul was probably the highest scoring person. And you know what? It was still an F. 
Only a 100 will get you into heaven. Only one person has ever made a 100, and that's Jesus Christ himself. By accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I get into heaven because he gives me his score. I know what you're thinking. Here on earth, we call that cheating. If I took somebody else's score and put it on my paper, they could kick me out of school. My name would be drugged through the mud, but not in heaven. You see, the only thing that'll get you into heaven is, sir, God, I accepted your son as my savior and he gave me his 100 and God's gonna go welcome to heaven. That's the only way you can get in here is by receiving my son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and savior. So we're gonna take a look at Hebrews chapter one when we come back tomorrow. And you can want to get a head start on that. We're going to take a look at verses one and two and find out that men have always approached God the same way. And that's by simple faith, even though God has approached man in many different ways. I'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.